Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Whether it's you're in a growth group or a small group or a Sunday school class praying, maybe it's even at the dinner table praying, it's a hard thing. And I would venture to guess that most of us here this morning do not have the vibrant type of prayer life that we would like to have. And let's just be real honest. Prayer is hard work. Prayer requires concentration. Prayer requires a lot of effort, but here's the point about prayer. When you stop and think about it, it is one of the greatest privileges we have as God's people to go to the Lord in prayer. Now, why do I bring up the issue of prayer this morning? Well, today we're going to continue exploring the construction of the tabernacle, and we come to the very last piece of furniture. We come to the very last piece of furniture that is built that goes in the Holy of Holies right next to the Ark of the Covenant. And what we find is the altar of incense. The altar of incense. So let's read together Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. Instructions about the altar of incense. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense... You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be on one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it under its molding on two opposite sides of it. You shall make them and you shall be holders for poles which... To carry it, you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that's above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, or you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. It's interesting that this is the last piece of furniture that God chooses to give instructions. And it's back inside the Holy of Holies. Now, let's remember the order of how these instructions came. We started with the Ark of the Covenant, the box with that mercy seat, that atonement lid, as the most important piece of furniture in that Holy of Holies. Then you had the table with the bread of the presence to be continually baked on there. Then you had the golden lampstand, the menorah. 
And that's in the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. And then God gave instructions for Moses to build the tent, the tabernacle itself. And then last week we looked that outside the tabernacle was the burnt offering, the altar for the burnt offering, where they would burn the bulls and they would consume them on the fire. And now we go back inside the Holy of Holies to this last piece of furniture, the altar of incense. Now, you may notice that I skipped two chapters. I told you as we go through these latter chapters of Exodus, we weren't going to go through every chapter. Chapters 28 and 29 deal with the priests, the garments for the priests, the ordination for the priests, the consecration for the priests, the Levitical priesthoods, and what they would actually be doing in the temple. So we kind of skipped over that. We're coming to chapter 30, the altar of incense. And we find some interesting things about it. It's fairly small. It's made of acacia wood like the Ark of the Covenant was made of acacia wood. It's a perfect cube. It's to be overlaid with gold because it's in the Holy of Holies. But notice where it's placed. It's to be placed right next to the Ark of the Covenant. The closest piece of furniture next to the Ark of the Covenant, which is the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And what's the priest supposed to do? Every morning when he goes and lights the lamp, the gold lampstand, he's to offer incense in the morning. And when he goes and lights the lamps in the evening, he's to offer incense in the evening. So morning and evening, he's to be offering incense. And so the incense is to be burning all the time on that altar. He's to do it in the morning. He's to do it in the evening. Also, we find out there's not to be any unauthorized incense used. And so if you look at verses 22 through the end of the chapter, there's a bunch of instructions on that type of anointing oil and incense that they were supposed to use. But the most important thing about the altar of incense was its relationship to the Day of Atonement. On that one day of year, when the priest would sacrifice the goat... He would take some of the blood of the goat and he would smear it seven times on the top of the atonement lid, the the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. But in here it says he also put some of the blood on the horns or or, or the knobs, if you will, on that altar of incense. So the altar of incense is very closely related to the Ark of the Covenant on the day of atonement. And we find some more instructions in Leviticus 16, 12 through 13. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil that's inside the Holy of Holies, and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that's over the testimony so that he does not die. I like that part. The incense got to be in there so he doesn't die. Now, some commentators will tell you, here's the reason why they burned incense. Because of the smell of all the blood and guts that were going on in there, the incense was kind of to cover the smell. Okay, I, I buy that. But there's something greater about the altar of Incense. What does it represent? What is the, the fragrant offering of incense going up in the temple, the tabernacle? What does it represent? Well, we don't have a lot of instructions right here, but if you let Scripture interpret Scripture and you read the rest of the Bible, it becomes very clear what the altar of incense represents. Here's what the altar of incense represents. 
The altar of incense symbolizes the prayers of God's people. The prayers, the sweet fragrance of prayers of God's people going up to the throne room of God. Now, where do we see this in your Bible? That the altar of incense represents prayers. Well, one place we can go is Psalm 141, 1 through 2, the Psalm of David. Listen to what David says. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Notice how David equates prayer with incense. Lord, Lord, I'm crying out to you. I'm praying to you. Let my prayer that goes up to you be like that incense, the smell that, that wafts up into God's presence. So David, King David equates prayer with incense, but one of the greatest examples we have is Zechariah, the priest. Remember, Zechariah the priest was the one who was in the temple, and the angel came to him to announce the birth of Christ and of all these things that were related to what we will celebrate in a few months, actually next month at Christmas time. It's coming close, isn't it? So Luke chapter 1, 8 through 11, listen to what Zechariah the priest was doing in the temple. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. It's interesting that by this time, it's called the hour of incense. Not the hour of prayer, but the hour of incense. And so Zechariah is in the holy of holies, burning incense, praying, while multitudes of people are outside praying at that same time. Now, it's interesting that the book of Hebrews tells us, this is, a, this is a fascinating thing, the book of Hebrews tells us that all these instructions that the tabernacle are given here to Moses are a copy of what's going on in heaven right now. And that'll blow your mind just to think about that. It's a copy. What Moses was given was a copy of what is happening in heaven. Hebrews 8.5. They, talking about the instructions about the tabernacle, they serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So everything that happens in the tabernacle is a copy of what's happening in heaven. Okay, so we have to go to the end of the Bible to find out what's happening in heaven. How does the book of Revelation give us insight into incense being the prayers of people? It's very clear. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. And he tells us what it is. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
These golden bowls of incense are the prayers of the saints going up to the Father. And then we find this also in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So when you take this imagery of incense being the prayers of the people, here's the point. When that priest would enter into the Holy of Holies right next to the Ark of the Covenant when he would offer incense on that altar of incense. He, in a sense, was symbolically offering up prayers to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. He was praying for them. He was representing them. He was also sacrificing for them in that place. So from the rest of the Bible we see that prayer and incense go hand in hand. When you pray to the Lord, it's as if this fragrant incense is rising as a sweet smell to our Heavenly Father. Now, as I was studying the tabernacle, I had to ask a question because you get kind of confused because there are two altars There's the bronze altar that we looked at last week, and there's the altar of incense that we see here. Why two altars? What's the difference between the bronze altar that we looked at last week and the altar of incense? Why two altars? How are they similar? How are they different? And ultimately, the question we've been asking every week about the tabernacle, the important question is, how do these things point us to Jesus? What do they show us about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us? Okay, last week, the bronze altar. That big grill outside the tent where the bulls would be sacrificed. We saw that in great detail last week, and we discovered that the the bronze altar represents the finished work of Christ where he paid the penalty in full The entrails and the fat was taken outside the camp, and it was totally burned up. And so the total consumption of that bull on that bronze altar shows that all of our sins, past, present, and future, has been taken care of by Jesus once for all. He is the altar of incense. It is the finished work of Christ. Hebrews 10.14, we looked at this last week. For by a single offering, one offering, once for all, Jesus, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the bronze altar is the finished work of Christ. He died on the cross, he rose again, and he went back to heaven. And where's Jesus now? It's a great theological question. Where's Jesus now? He's in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay? The bronze altar represents the finished work of Christ. What does this altar here in Exodus 30 represent about Christ? The altar of incense. It's funny that it's called an altar. Why is it called an altar? Are any sacrifices being sacrificed on this altar? No. They're just burning incense on this altar. Okay, think about it for a moment. Only the priest could sacrifice the bull. 
Only the priests could enter the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could offer sacrifices of incense on that altar. Only the priests could offer prayers for the Israelites. And think about a priest for a moment. If you were a priest in Israel, you really never got a break. I mean, just read this. What are they doing? It's hard work. They're killing bulls. They're killing goats. They're smearing blood. They're taking stuff out to the camp. They're lighting candles. They're baking bread. They're cleaning utensils. They're, they're putting um, incense on the altar. They're doing all these things. But I want you to notice one piece of furniture we have not seen in Exodus related to the tabernacle. You won't find it. What's one piece of furniture you don't find in there? A chair for the priest to sit down. Because his work's never done. He, he can't take a break. You notice how it's always, the bread's always got to be baked. The candle's always got to be lit. The, the incense has always got to be, the priest has always got to be doing this stuff. He's working, 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 working. And now, now when somebody else takes his place and he goes home to his own personal tent, he can sit down. But while he's doing the work, he can't sit down. Why? The work's never done. There's always another sacrifice. There's always another candle. There's always another bull. What do we know about Jesus? When he died on the cross and he rose again and he went back up to heaven, what does it say? He sat down. Why did Jesus sit down? It is finished. There's no more work to be done. Hebrews 1.3 says this, and making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is there in heaven right now, seated, not because he's tired, but seated symbolically because the work is done. Now, what is Jesus doing right now, seated in heaven? What's he doing right now? As the altar of incense would tell us, what does the altar of incense represent? Prayer. What is Jesus doing right now in heaven for us? Jesus is there praying, interceding for us right now at the right hand of the Father. You say, Pastor Sean, that sounds kind of weird. Do you have a verse for that? Why, yes, I do. I'm glad you asked. I got a verse for everything. I hope you know that by now. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Glenn, when our elder read this earlier during our time of confession, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is, present tense, at the right hand, who indeed is, present tense, what? Interceding for us, praying for us, representing us right now in heaven at the right hand of God. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives, present tense, to do what? Make intercession for them. Jesus is always living to make intercession for us. Where? At the right hand of God because he's seated there because as the high priest of heaven, he's finished the work. He's died the once and for all death. And once he's died and risen and seated in heaven, what's he doing now? He's praying. He's interceding. He's representing us. Hebrews 9.24. 
For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. There's that copy language again. But he, Jesus didn't go into the holy of holies like the priests did. He went into heaven, the true tabernacle. And what's he doing there? Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf for us there. Now, what's the significance of Jesus being our great high priest who's finished the work and has gone and is seated in heaven? He's praying for us right now. What what does all this mean for us? It brings up some practical issues, some interesting questions. And so here's the first question. This is an interesting question. And at first, you may disagree with what I'm saying, but just hear me out. Here's the question that some people ask. Does God hear and answer the prayers of unbelievers? Does God hear cell phones that go off in the middle of the Does God hear and answer the prayers of unbelievers? Now, this is a trick question. Does God know all things? Is God aware of all things? Does God know what a Hindu prays? All over the world, what Buddhists pray, what what pagans, what religious people that are not Christian. Does God have awareness of what people are praying at all times? Yes, he knows what they're praying. So it's not the issue, does God hear their prayers? Does God know what they're praying? That's not the issue. The question is, does God respond to their prayers as their father because they're coming to him in Jesus' name because Jesus is their savior? That's the real issue. And the answer is no. God does not receive their prayers because they're not coming through Christ, the one mediator. Now, God's aware of their prayers, and God knows what they're praying. But because they're not believers in Jesus Christ, praying in Jesus' name, and Christ is not there interceding on their behalf, those prayers are not responded to by God. Now, I need you to understand something here for a moment. We have a great privilege as believers to pray directly to our Father in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit to a God who does hear us and does respond and does care about us and does answer us. The non-Christian does not have that hope. And here's the second thing. The only hope we have that God does hear and answer our prayers is that Jesus is our advocate seated in heaven. Okay. How do you know God's going to hear your prayer? How do you know that when, you, when the prayer goes up, it doesn't just hit the, hit the ceiling of heaven and it doesn't go any further? How's God going to hear my prayer? How do I know he listens? Well, it's all because of what Jesus is doing right now in heaven, seated there. 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Notice what it says there. If we sin, we have an advocate, a defense attorney, a legal representative that's there in heaven, seated Because the work is done. So that means we'll never be held guilty for any sin ever again because Christ has paid for those sins. He's the propitiation for those sins. He's our advocate. And so when we sin, 
The devil can come and lay charge against charge against charge against us and say, guilty, guilty, guilty. Are those charges going to stick? No, because we have an advocate. We have a legal defense lawyer, Jesus, seated right there saying, I've paid for that child's sin. None of those accusations stick. When we sin, does God stop loving us and we lose our salvation because we've sinned one too many times? No, Jesus is there as our advocate saying, listen, all the sins are paid in full. We have the hope to know that all of our sins are paid in full and that when we pray to the Lord, to the Father, Jesus gets those prayers to the Father because he died for us and he's representing us and he paid for us. Now here's the thing that blows my mind that the Bible doesn't answer. If you can find the answer, come talk to me afterwards. Here's what we do know. We know that Jesus is there praying for us. We know that Jesus is there interceding for us, but what we don't know is what he's saying. We don't know particularly what he's actually praying. We can't peek into heaven and see what Jesus is doing. We just know he's there doing it. But we get a clue. There's one place in the Bible that gives us somewhat of a clue. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, just hours before he goes to the cross, he prays to the Father for us. And so here's the third thing that we can think about. We get a glimpse into what Jesus is praying for right now by what he actually prayed right before the cross that we have recorded in that prayer. So we don't know exactly what Jesus is praying for right now, but we do know what Jesus prayed for right before he died, and he prayed for us. And so those prayers that he prayed on earth for us now, we can kind of get a glimpse to think this may be what Jesus is continuing to pray for us when he's in heaven. So what did Jesus pray for us? John 17, 8 through 9. I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and they've come to know the truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. Jesus says, I'm praying for my people. Okay, so what did Jesus pray for? What? Now, some of these are specific to the disciples, and some of these are specific to us, but we can, we can look at this and say, at least we know what Jesus was praying for before he died. And it relates to us. So let's look at a few of these things. Okay, John 17, 13. But now I'm coming to you. This is Jesus praying to the Father. These are the prayers of Jesus. I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus prayed for our joy. That's exciting to me to think that maybe right now in heaven, Jesus is praying for my joy. There are times when I don't feel joyful. And if it were up to me to kind of muster up joy, I would probably never get there. But it, it, thank you, Jesus, you're praying for my joy, the fullness of joy. Okay, what else does Jesus pray for? John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus prayed for protection from the devil. Now, that doesn't mean that the devil can't ever attack you. But can the devil take you? Can the devil possess you? Can the devil have you ultimately? No, he can't because Jesus prays for us and we belong to him. Jesus is praying that you don't get ensnared by the devil. Now, Jesus said something very interesting to Peter right before Peter denied Jesus. You remember? Now, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times when the cock crows, you're going to realize it. But Jesus said something very interesting to Peter. 
in Luke 22, 31 through 32. Simon, Simon, that's just another name for Peter. Simon, Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Wow, that's kind of scary. Satan came to me and asked that I, that, that, that I, basically, Satan came to me, Jesus is saying, and he asked to take you out, Peter. Ultimately, Satan can't do anything that I don't give him permission to do, but he came to me and says, I want to have him, that he might sift you like wheat, that you might fail. But notice what Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter not to fail. Did God answer that prayer of Jesus? Yes. Did Peter fail three times? Yes. But did he fail ultimately? No. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays that we would be growing in the scriptures, that we would be transformed by the truth, that we would know our Bibles, that we would be sanctified in the truth. He's praying for that. And then he prays in John 17, 20 through 21, I do not ask for these also, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for our unity. Jesus prays for our fellowship. Jesus prays for our oneness as his people. So there are two very important points in regard to Jesus' prayer in John 17. Who's praying? It's not a trick question. Who's praying? Jesus. Who's answering? The Father. Here's a basic question. Do Jesus' prayers ever go unanswered? Does the Father always answer Jesus' prayers? Yes. Wow, great encouragement. Now, sometimes we pray selfishly and we don't know how to pray and God will answer our prayers despite some of our weirdness, but Jesus knows exactly what to pray and the Father always answers his prayers. That gives you great encouragement to know that right now in heaven, Jesus is interceding on behalf of you to a Father who always answers those prayers of Jesus and he always has your best in mind. That's the first thing we can take away from this. But secondly, if this is what Jesus prayed for, shouldn't we be praying for these things? I mean, it's the logical flow. If Jesus prayed to the Father for these things for us, should not this be our prayer as well? So let me ask you a question. Are you praying for fullness of joy? Is that on your prayer list? Lord, I want fullness of joy for myself, for my church, for my family. Are you praying for spiritual protection from the devil? Are you praying that you would be sanctified in the truth, in God's word? Are you praying for unity among your brothers and sisters? Here's what's so interesting about all this. In the Old Testament, your average Israelite could only dream of having the privilege that we have. Who alone could have access directly to God? The priest. Only the priest could go in there. Only the priest could offer altars on on the altar of incense. Only the priest could represent the people. Only the priest could talk directly to God. And Moses. They had to go through that intermediator. They had to bring the bull. The priest had to sacrifice the bull. 
The priest had to go in and offer the prayers. Only the priest had direct access to God. No Israelite had the privilege of praying directly to the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit like you and I have today. What a privilege. So here's the question. Are you taking advantage of that privilege? Are you praying like you should? When did the priest offer the altar of incense? In the morning and in the evening. I'm not being legalistic and saying you have to pray in the morning and pray before you go to bed, but that's a good, that's a good pattern. Ephesians 6.18. Praying at all times. Well, what are all times, Pastor Sean? What's the Greek for all times? It's all times. All times. In the Spirit, with all types of prayers. Well, what does the word all mean there? It means all types of prayers. Supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Basically, Paul said, make your lifestyle a lifestyle of prayer, praying at all times. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be down on your knees for 30 minutes of concentrated prayer. That's important. But it could be you're driving along and you just shoot up a prayer to the Lord just quickly, all the time. It's, it's more just this attitude of prayer throughout your entire life. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Does that mean that you're always praying and never doing anything else? No, it's the, it's the attitude of your heart and mind that your, your whole life's posture is that of talking to God. Praying. Doing what no Israelite had the privilege of doing. We are priests, a kingdom of priests that can go directly to God with our, with our hearts and with our problems. Now, I want to ask you to turn just briefly to Matthew chapter 6, to the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And this was read during our call to worship, but I want you to read it again because some of us grew up memorizing this. We kind of know it. It's not a rote thing that you're supposed to say with no passion where you just kind of recite it out of memory. It's a model. It's a template. It's something to kind of hang pegs on to give you a thought process and how to pray. But let's just go through this prayer briefly, and I'm going to ask you the question, are you praying this way? If you don't know how to pray, open your Bible to Matthew 6 and just pray the way Jesus said, pray like this. And you can't go wrong if you pray like the way Jesus told you to pray. Or go back to John 17 and pray those prayers that Jesus prayed for us. So, Matthew 6, 9-13. Jesus says, pray then like this. I love it. Jesus says, pray like this. Thank you, Jesus. You gave me a model. I don't have to make it up. I know how to pray. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, hallowed be your name. Are you asking God's name to be honored, holy in your life? Are you asking God to be glorified, to be honored in your life? hallowed be your name. Okay? Your kingdom come. That's talking about the advancement of the gospel. That's talking about evangelism. That's talking about missions. That's talking about God's kingdom coming. Are you praying for the advancement of the gospel? Are you praying for witnessing opportunities? Are you praying that you would be a good, a good strong witness for the gospel? Okay? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's talking about not just God's sovereign will to be done. That's more talking about God's revealed will to his scripture. Are you obeying his will and doing it in your life? Lord, give me the power to obey your word. Okay, what else does he pray? Give us this day our daily bread. That's a catch-all for anything you need. Are you asking for things? Are you, are you asking God to meet your 
needs, not necessarily your wants, but your needs. Are you praying for yourself and others? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Are you a forgiving person? Are you quick to forgive? Are you quick to confess sins? Are you quick to be repentant? Are, are, you, are you quick to seek reconciliation with others in your life? Are you praying for your relationships? And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Are you praying to be vigilant, to be watchful, that you wouldn't walk into temptation, that God would protect you from those things? See, these are wonderful privileges we have. As a Christian, you can go directly to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and pour your heart out to the living God and He hears you and He answers you and He loves you. So when we think about the altar of incense, we should automatically think about prayer. We think about the fact that Jesus is our high priest, and not only did he pray for us here on earth, but he's praying for us in heaven right now, the true, ultimate, holy of holies. Think about the staggering implications. Jesus is praying for you right now. And we should also think about our own prayer lives, how the priest would go in and offer incense morning and evening, morning and evening. Are we constantly in an attitude of prayer you know jesus died once for all the bronze altar he cried out it is finished they put him in a tomb he rose again three days later he ascended back up to heaven and he sat down is that the end of the story until he comes back we often think about jesus went back to heaven and he's coming back someday what's he doing right now well the bible's very clear he's interceding So that gives us confidence that when you pray, your prayers are like that fragrant incense that goes up to the very throne of God and your God hears you and your God accepts you and your God loves you and your God answers you and your God takes care of you. So would our prayers be a fragrant offering to the Lord who hears and answers. And so what I want to ask us to do this morning is not just talk about prayer, but pray. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And this may be your first time this morning to actually, in your heart and mind, pray to the living God. You could have gone through the motions this morning. You could have had whatever you did this morning. I'm giving you time right now to go to the living God in prayer and just cry out whatever's on your heart to cry out. Take advantage of this time, this quiet time, to pray however God would lead you to pray. And let's just spend some time letting our our fragrant prayers go up to the Lord as an offering of incense. Let's just spend some time in prayer. What an amazing thing it is to think about that you're seated in heaven right now interceding for us. We, we can't even really begin to understand all that. But we know it's true because your Bible says it's true. And we may not know exactly what you're specifically praying for, but we know you are. And Lord, that gives me great confidence. Give me great confidence to know that you prayed for my joy. You prayed for spiritual protection. You prayed for my growth and understanding the word. You prayed for, for unity. You prayed for all these things. And the only reason you can do that is because you finished the work on the cross and completely forgave us of all of our sins and that you're seated there 
And one day you're going to come back, but until that day, we have the confidence to know that as the seated king of kings on that throne, you represent us, you pray for us, you intercede for us. Lord, help us to have confidence to know that because you're doing that, when we pray, God hears, God answers, God knows. Lord, help us to be a people of constant prayer. Help us to be a people of steadfast prayer, of diligent prayer. Lord, help us to use the Lord's prayer as a model, to be praying for the things that are on your heart, Lord, not the selfish things that we tend to think about, but, Lord, the big things like your kingdom and your holiness and your glory and your will. Lord, adjust our hearts and minds to the truth of what your scripture says about prayer. And Lord, help us to realize that when we gather together on a Sunday morning and we pray corporately, we pray as a church family, Lord, it is the prayers of the saints. Those those prayers are going up as an offering of incense to your very throne. And Lord, just the visual image of what that would look like. That even right now at this moment when we're all praying together, that that fragrant smell that goes up to you. And, And Father, you receive those with joy. And you're ready to act and you're ready to respond and you're ready to answer. That gives us great confidence. You may not always answer in the way we want you to answer or in the timing, but Lord, you do answer because you do it according to your will and we just trust you that you know best. So help us to leave this place with confidence in our praying because we have a great high priest seated there that's praying for us, Jesus Christ the righteous. And it's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen.